Turn in your Bible to the book of 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter, oh, what's a good chapter? Four. <laughs> four, I just covered chapter four. Chapter five, we are now in chapter five. And it's been wonderful, just kind of skimming through the book, just hitting the highlights. Uh, can't go too deep. 1 Peter chapter five, 1 Peter chapter five, look there in verse one. The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. You see, we have an exhortation of the elders, and then we have an exhortation concerning those that are younger, and we also have a challenge to be sober and to be vigilant. I want you to look down there in verse Eight, where he says, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, as a roaring lion, walketh about seeking whom he may devour. This is a good reason for the chapter, because there's a lion out there. There's the devil out there, and he's seeking the sheep. He wants to gobble up some sheep. Well, now, do you think he's talking about real sheep, or is he talking about his children, talking about you and me? He's talking about us. But there is something that he tells us in order to keep the flock from being devoured. He says, I want to challenge you, you elders. He said, I'm an elder also, but I want to exhort you, challenge you, motivate you, because uh, this is so important. So you notice there in verse 1 where it says the elders, which are the leaders of the church. They're like pastors of a church. They're overseers. You can also use the word bishop or presbyter. They're all the leaders of a ministry. And so in some places, they were appointed by Paul. He appointed some, and then he told them to go and appoint others in the book of Titus. Because wherever you go, you've got to have the flock needs a leader. The flock needs a pastor. And it's so important because without a pastor, the sheep will scatter. And when Dr. Hank Lindstrom passed away, if it had not been for a few shepherds here in the church, like Dr. Polson and uh, Mr. Yant and a few others, even James Taylor was greatly used and helped. And these people help hold a flock together. So great things can be done. But there is always this risk that... The devil is going to try to do everything possible to destroy the shepherd. And Jesus mentioned this in the book of Matthew in chapter 9. Smite the shepherd, smite the shepherd, and the sheep will scatter. And the reason for the scattering the sheep is because they have less protection. They're just one, one on one, and the devil is a lion, and the sheep can't defend himself. So there's scriptures that tells us how we're supposed to deal with some of this in this situation. But what I want you to see, he says, I was an eyewitness. He says, we have not followed cunningly devised fables. He says, what we're talking about is the truth. We know the truth. He says, I was there. I saw Jesus Christ. I saw him crucified. I saw the sufferings of Christ. And he also says, I was there at the Mount of Transfiguration when Jesus Christ was glorified 
transfigured right before his eyes. And he began to shine brighter than the noonday sun. Now, wouldn't that have been something to have seen? Now, just hold your place right here, but just look there in Matthew in chapter 17. Matthew in chapter 17. It actually starts in chapter 16, but uh, it kind of lets you know that Peter, who is now addressing us, talking to us, challenging us, motivating us, telling us about the devil. Did you know that he had one time, he had a little problem with the devil, didn't he? Didn't Jesus say to him one time, Satan, get behind me. Satan hath desired you, Peter, that he may sift you as wheat. So he says here in uh, this verse 23, But he turned and said unto Peter in chapter 16, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. Now, all that that he asks us to do is not to get to heaven. This is for discipleship. This is to be a follower, a learner of Christ. So if you want to follow Christ, then there's places you can't go because you're going to follow him. Well, he didn't go that way. He went that way. I remember when I was down there with some Lee Patton's kids. And I'm sitting there in the chair, and they had gotten one of these little crowns off of, uh, from a Burger King that said King Ralph. And they got one of those little hats, and they told me to come sit down in this chair. So I sat down in this chair. It says, that you're the king. Oh, okay, I'll, I'll play along. I'm the king. Then they got my crown, and they put it on my head. And they pretended like I was King Ralph. Now, I didn't know anything about this commercial yet. So anyway, they pretend like I, I was a king, and I had gotten the crown. And um, you find out the Lord had told Peter that he was going to sit on a throne and help him to judge the 12 tribes of Israel. So he knew what was coming down the road. But he knew that he had failed the Lord, and he knew the power of the devil and how he can lure you and get you sidetracked. And so he says here, this is not for salvation, how to get to heaven. This is to those who already know they're going to heaven. God wants every one of us to serve him, to follow him. And then he says this in verse 25, For whosoever will save his life shall lose it, and whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. So if you live your life for yourself, do whatever you want to do. He says you wasted your life. You lost your purpose in life. God did not create you and I so that we can do our own thing and go our own way. That's what a sheep does. All we like sheep have gone astray. But the Bible is talking about, God says, if you want to save your life, then give it to me. Give your life to the Lord, and then you will serve the purpose for what God intended. So then he makes this statement in verse 26. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? So we're talking about profit in a Christian's life. This is what the Lord had told Peter. Now Peter is, lo and behold, he's telling us that. He says, if he gains the whole world and lose his own soul or waste his life, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? This time that God's given us to live our life. See, the devil, he can't get your soul because, see, that's saved. 
but he can get your life. And sometimes the word soul and life, spirit, and all that breath, a lot of times used interchangeably, especially with the word spirit. But you're talking about you have a life to live. If you live it for the Lord, then you'll save your life. And God will get the honor and the glory for it. If you don't, you've wasted your life. So you can either have profit in your life, profit according to what God says, or you can waste your life. So he says in verse 27, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. Then he shall reward every man according to his works. He's not going to reward you now. So we're talking about profit, talking about you serving, carrying your cross, following, being rewarded. That's not the gift of eternal life. Eternal life is a gift. It's free. This is talking about you're going to be rewarded. And then he says in verse 28, Verily I say to you, there be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man coming in his kingdom. Wouldn't you like to have been there? Wouldn't you like to have been part of that? Well, Peter was. After all what he has just done. Chapter 17, verse 1. And after six days, Jesus taketh Peter, James, and John, his brother, and bringeth them up into a high mountain apart, and was transfigured before them, and his face did shine as the sun, and his raiment was white as the light. And behold, there appeared unto them Moses and Elijah talking with them. And then Peter put his foot in his mouth again, as the story goes. But this is um, letting know, he said, I was an eyewitness. And even when he was an eyewitness of Christ's sufferings, remember that when Christ was crucified and put on the cross, Peter stood afar off. And somebody says, hey, I've seen you before. Aren't you one of his followers? No, no, no. He denied the Lord three times. Three times. And when Christ came back from the dead, he faced Peter and he says, do you love me, Peter? Yes, I, I, I do. Three times he asked Peter, do you love me? And each time he says, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. So now we have here in 1 Peter where he's talking about, you know, there's a devil out there. And that old devil is real. And that devil is like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. And so if you want to protect the flock, you have to do two things. He's warning them about the wolf, about the lion. But also you've got to feed the flock. And if you only feed the flock, you'll, they'll be fattened for the kill. But if you only warn the flock, then they'll starve to death. So there has to be a balance of feeding and warning. And this is what is going on. Now, you'll notice this in verse 2, where he makes a statement, Feed the flock of God. That word feed means to tend. And not just see if they got some grass, but it means the protection of them, the watering of them. Uh, they leave me beside still waters, and he feeds them and so forth, and protects them. You read the 23rd Psalm and you'll see all of that. And all of that is included. Now, I want you to take your Bible and look in Matthew chapter 19 and verse 27. Matthew chapter 19. And notice that there's another incident where Jesus and Peter had a little conversation. Uh, Peter was like the spokesman for the group. He was always asking the questions. But he learned a lot. God used them. But notice what he says here in Matthew chapter 19, verse 27. He says, Then answered Peter and said unto him, Behold, we have forsaken all and followed thee. Just like you wanted us to do. We've done that. What shall we have therefore? 
Isn't that a good question to ask? I want, well, what are we going to get out of this? If you serve the Lord, don't you want to know what's in it for me? Why should I do this? So some people don't have to ask the question. They don't care. They just want to do right because that's what God wants to do. That's good enough reason. There's other people want to know, well, what am I going to get? He said, I'm going to reward you. Well, okay, now what do you mean? Look what he says. In verse 28, And Jesus said unto them, Verily I say unto you, that ye which have followed me in the regeneration, that means in the kingdom, when the Son of Man shall sit in the throne of His glory, that's when He comes back in power and great glory. This is not the rapture. When He comes back, He says, Also shall sit upon twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. Now, isn't that exciting? They're going to be the twelve tribes. And you're going to have twelve thrones, and you're going to get the rule. Now, we don't know to what extent, but God does say in the book of um, Revelation that we're going to rule, we're going to reign with Christ. So we're going to be here. But what are we going to do? I don't know. I don't know what it is. But I just believe this. Whatever it is, it's got to be worth it. And then he says in verse 29, And everyone that hath forsaken houses, or brethren, or sisters, or fathers, or mothers, or wife, or children, or lands, for my name's sake, shall receive a hundredfold, and shall inherit everlasting life. Now, this is things that he says also, not only in this life, but in the age or the world which is to come, which is referred to in other places. So, there's things that will happen in, in this world, talking about in this kingdom upon the earth, you'll have it here. You will actually get to have this new body, you're going to rule, you're going to reign with Christ. But also there's more to it on down the road. Now when he says, if you'll leave everybody, <laughs> that's almost like in the book of Luke in chapter 14 when he says, if you will be my disciple, you must love the Lord more than mother and father and brother and sister. Means you, he says, you've got to hate them. But it doesn't really mean you've got to hate them. It's just that your love for the Lord has got to be stronger then your love for anything else or your love for anything else will keep you from loving the Lord supremely. And so it's the same thing with everything else that you have in life. I had to make up my mind. I have to love the Lord more than I love my wife. I have to love the Lord more than I love my mother, more than I love my brother and my sisters. I had to love the Lord more. Or I would not have done what I believe God wanted me to do. Because you'll let the love of something else, and if you can love the world, the love for the world can keep you from loving the Lord like you ought to, or sacrificing. They're going through. So all those things are very, very important to do. When he says feed the flock of God, I, I think you ought to see a little bit about what the Lord meant by being a, a good shepherd. So look there in Jeremiah chapter 3, the book of Jeremiah. That's way back there in the Old Testament. Jeremiah in chapter 3. Jeremiah chapter 3, and there's a few verses here that talks a little bit about, well, God talking to his, his shepherds, or his pastors, and what they uh, were supposed to do, how God wanted them to be. But the Lord says, you know, my people, they're ruined because the prophets, the priests, and the pastors, the princes, all failed to do the thing that God wanted them to do. And so he makes a statement here in uh, verse 15. And I will give you pastors according to mine heart, 
which shall feed you with knowledge and understanding. You ought to underline this in your Bible, because it lets you have a little bit of an understanding of what is the pastor's job. The pastor is to feed, to help you to understand, giving you biblical knowledge. The pastor can't make everyone do right. I wish I could, <laughs> but it won't work. The pastor is not to be a dictator. He can't use force. He has no weapons. All he has is the Word of God. And if that doesn't do it, it can't be done. Because you cannot manipulate people. You cannot be dishonest with people. You can't be dis, uh, deceitful with people. You have to be honest and tell them the truth. And sometimes people don't want to hear the truth. So they'd rather go to a church that will just hear nice things. But when you come here, I want to teach you the Bible. The good, bad, and the indifferent. So that you know what God's Word has to say. So he goes through and he tells us all these things. And he tells here, especially in Jeremiah, that a lot of these people were backslidden, as you wouldn't call backslidden. Some people have never gone far enough forward to backslide. So another scripture I want you to see, well, you're right there, in Ezekiel 34. Look in Ezekiel chapter 34. Ezekiel chapter 34. And look in verse 1. Ezekiel 34 and verse 1. He gives you a, a good idea of the shepherd and what he's supposed to do, what he's supposed to be like. And notice in verse 1, And the word of the Lord came unto me, saying, Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say unto them, Thus saith the Lord God unto the shepherds, Woe to be the shepherds, woe be to the shepherd of Israel that do feed themselves, should not the shepherds feed the flock. That's a good little statement. Should not the shepherds feed the flock. So when Peter says there in the book of First uh, Peter in chapter 5, he said, I'm an elder. I'm like a shepherd. He says, and let me exhort you elders, feed the flock. Tend to the flock. That's why we're supposed to try to take care of y'all as best as we possibly can. That's when some of y'all go to the hospital, I'll try to be at the hospital. When, you got, when you're going to die on me, I'll try to do your funeral and try to tend to you every way we know. And Sunday mornings, chances are, the pastor's here. On Sunday night, uh, the preacher's here. Wednesday night, preacher's here. Now, is all the flock here, though? No. So you can't do some things with some of the flock because all the flock don't show up when they need to be fed. Now, I was one time on the road traveling, speaking, and uh, this one guy, he was going to have me speak. And so he had me speaking about 12 to 13 times in just a few days. And I says, um, can I just give you a word? He said, sure. I says, my mama had six kids. I says, and so when at breakfast time, she cooked one meal and put it on the table, and if you're hungry, you'd be there to eat. I says, now, what if my mama had got up and says, okay, uh, Sybil, you eat at 6 o'clock in the morning. Uh, little man, uh, you can eat at 7 o'clock. Kay, you eat at 8 o'clock. Uh, Yankee, you eat at 9 o'clock. Lizzie, 10 o'clock. And Lizzie... You eat at 12 o'clock. Now, my mama could keep herself busy all day long, couldn't she? And feeding all these sheep. 
all those different times because that's the way they want it. Or would you rather, my mama saying, uh, we're going to fix the meal at 7 o'clock, and if you're hungry, you come and eat. Outside of that, you starve. And you'll teach the people, now look, this is when we're eating, and this is what we're going to do. I've had people say, well, they want to have an extra little Bible study, and then another little Bible study, and they want to have it on a Monday night, and a Tuesday night, and a Thursday night, and a Friday night, and all the little Bible study. I said, wait, 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 wait. Why don't you come when we already have a Bible study? You really want a Bible study? You really want to study the Bible? Then we, we have one, and you don't come to that one. You don't come to this one. You don't come to that one. Wait a minute. You're not going to run this shepherd crazy. The shepherd fixes the meal. And he's going to fix it here, and I'm going to feed you here, and I'm going to feed you here. Now, if you want to eat, this is where it comes from. So that a man is not going to last forever. And you have to learn how to pace yourself. You've got to find out sometimes sheep will scatter, and they'll turn on the... Have you ever seen sheep turn on a shepherd? You haven't seen human sheep. You have to please them all the time, keep them all happy. And that's an impossibility. But there's some good statements that are mentioned here, and I want you to see them. Look in verse 3. He says, You eat the fat, and ye clothe you with wool. You kill them that are fed, but ye feed not the flock. The diseased have ye not strengthened, neither have you healed that which was sick, neither have you bound up that which was broken, neither have you brought again that which was driven away, neither have you sought that which was lost, but with force and with cruelty have you ruled them. So when you read that last part, he says in the book of 1 Peter in chapter 5, you're not to do this begrudgingly, but willingly. You know, considering the sheep, you don't try to kill them, but you try to help them. Not being lords over them like a mean dictator, because it won't work. This is what God's Word says you don't do. So I try my best not to do this. Am I the perfect shepherd? Yes. No. <laughs> There's no perfect shepherd. But that's okay. There's no perfect sheep. We all have a few little spots and blemishes on our coats. And so he says there in verse 5, And they were scattered because there is no shepherd. There's no shepherd. And then he says, And they become meat to all the beasts of the field when they were scattered. And this is why God doesn't want this to be done. Notice he also makes a statement down here in verse 23. And I will set up one shepherd over them, and he shall feed them, even my servant David. The Lord talked about a time coming when God's going to set up his servant David. And during the kingdom, David's going to be here. And then he says in verse 24, And I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David, a prince among them. And there's going to be a covenant of peace. And down in verse 26, the last part of verse 26, There shall be showers of blessings. Have you ever heard that song? It goes like this. Uh, one, two, three, the devil's after me. Four, five, six, he's always throwing sticks. Seven, eight, nine, he misses every time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. You like that little chorus? The little kids can learn that. Can't you learn that, little kids? goes, one, two, three, the devil's after me. Four, five, six, he's always throwing sticks. Seven, eight, nine, he misses every time. Hallelujah, hallelujah, amen. Can y'all do it? Did y'all do it? Did the little kids get it? Yeah, they get it. 
they can get, learn it better than the adults can get it. But uh, look what he says also in verse 31. He says, and ye, my flock, the flock of my pasture, are, and underline that word, are men. And I am your God, saith the Lord God. So we know that we're supposed to be good, good shepherds. And there's a responsibility for the sheep. And so we try to teach them and lead them. And the only way to kind of keep the old devil from getting the sheep is you've got to educate the sheep. You've got to teach the sheep. So when it says, feed my sheep, tend to my sheep, and they've got to be fed. And that's why he keeps saying, you did not feed my sheep. You didn't feed them. So God has given to us his word, and he says, the shepherds are to feed you. Well, you can't make the people come to be fed. But if you will come and you will be fed, I guarantee you, if you'll listen to what the Word of God says and you come as often as you can, you will grow stronger and you'll be able to fight the devil and the temptations of the world. If you don't, you won't last. The devil will get you. He'll get you. He'll ruin your life. Now, go back to the book of First Peter chapter 5 and verse 2. I didn't think we were going to finish this chapter tonight. <laughs> well, maybe some other time. But look there in verse 2. Feed the flock of God. Not fleece the flock. Feed the flock. Which is among you. Now get this. Taking the oversight. There is a duty. There is a desire. And there should be a delight. Oversight. Whereof not by constraint. Well, I have to do this. But it should be willingly. Willingly. Not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. In other words, serving the Lord shouldn't be because, well, I think yes, I, that'd be an easy way to make money. Boy, I mean, if you've got to have a job, you might as well just go ahead and become a preacher. All they do is preach on a Sunday morning one time, and then they don't do nothing the rest of the week. Boy, that sounds like an easy gravy train. Try it. Go ahead. See how many people you please. And then uh, see how long it lasts. Now... God wants us to love him. And just like he asked Peter, do you love me? Do you love me? Do you love me? Then do this. You should do what you do because you love him. Not to make money. Not to be famous. Not to rule over people. I've told it so many times. If I didn't know the Bible and know what my responsibilities are, I'd be building me a cabin on the backside of some mountain up there in Alaska. I can't stand it whenever I turn on the TV and it has that thing in there. Something about Alaska. It's always about Alaska. And if I turn on the radio and it comes on, a Big Sam left Seattle in the year of 92. I'm ready to jump into my car and head to Alaska. Big nuggets and they're finding north. To Alaska, go north, the rush is on, way up north. And I would be driving my car, and I'd want to just, it, it just starts heading toward Alaska. But, you know, I can't afford to do that because I know too much. And God's word would just burn in my mind, and I would feel so guilty up there having such a good time, just fishing all the time, like up in Wisconsin or something like that, you know. You was on a lake and you had a place. You got a place up there, don't you? Where's it at? Michigan. In Michigan. Okay, I got the wrong state. But is there anything wrong? No, but you better watch it. It doesn't become a God to you. 
and that you can separate yourself from all the things God... we got a responsibility. Listen, when it's all over, when we get to heaven, it will be worth it all. Whatever sacrifice you made, it will be worth it all. God loves us that much. But he makes this statement. He says, do it because of a ready mind. Mentally, you want to do this. I want to be a good pastor. I want to be a good shepherd. And because of that, there's things that I can't do or go. It means it requires a certain amount of faithfulness, dependability. You've got to, I've tried to teach what does the word faithful mean? What does it mean to be found faithful? Moreover, it's required in the story that a man be found faithful. I want to be faithful. You don't know what the word means? I want just, just watch me. I want to live in such a way that I am an example of faithfulness. That's what you're supposed to do. Now, here he makes this statement in verse 3. Neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. God wants you and me to be examples. To show a person how they're supposed to live the Christian life. Betty and I, and I hate bringing this up, but I mean it's important. Betty and I try to be the kind of a married couple we believe the preacher ought to be and the wife ought to be. We try to live the way we believe. That's what God wants. We want our marriage to be an example of what a marriage is supposed to be like. The harmony we have, the purpose that we have, the goals that we have, the way we live, all that is, listen, I'm not making this up. I mean, that's the book. And if I'm not willing to do this, willing to do this, then I ought to get out of the ministry. True? Otherwise, I become a hypocrite. And I don't want to be a hypocrite. And so whenever we do right, well, we want to try to teach you how to do right. But that doesn't mean that we're the perfect example. The only perfect example is the Lord. But does he say here, being examples to the flock? That's what he says. He's not talking about Christ, talking about us. And then he also makes this statement. Be thou an example of the believer in word and in faith and in purity, in spirit, in attitude, everything. You be an example of the believer. That is our responsibility. Then he makes this statement here because this is so important. This is kind of like what we've been talking about. One of these days, it's going to all be over. And he said, and when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, I want you to hold your place right here and just go with me just very quickly to the 22nd Psalm. Now here, I want you to remember now, this is talking about the chief shepherd shall appear. Now go all the way back there to Psalms 22. Psalms 22, and you'll notice that Psalms 22 talks about the good shepherd. You see, in Matthew, it talks about Christ coming as a king, but not as a good shepherd. He talks about as a king, but in the book of John, chapter 10, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd. And here in chapter 22 of Psalms, this whole chapter is the good shepherd. Because the good shepherd gives his life for the sheep. So that's what you have. Then you have, in chapter 24, you have the scripture that we just read in 1 Peter chapter 5, 
where it talks about the chief shepherd coming in power and great glory. So that's in chapter 24. He's the chief shepherd. And he talks about the earth is the Lord's and all that. Then look down here in verse 7. Lift up your heads, O ye gates, and be ye lift up, ye everlasting doors. And the, see those words? King of glory. So what are we talking about over there in 1 Peter chapter 5? When the king of glory comes, then we are going to be rewarded and we're going to be in the kingdom upon the earth and we'll rule and reign with Christ. So you may suffer now, but you're going to reign later. And it will be worth it all. Then he says in verse 8, Who is this king of glory? The Lord, L-O-R-D, all caps, Jehovah, strong and mighty, the Lord's mighty in battle. And then he says in verse 9, the king of glory comes in. In verse 10, who is this king of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the king of glory. So here you have in chapter 24, you have the chief shepherd shall appear in glory. In Psalms 22, it's the good shepherd who gives his life for the sheep. And then in chapter 23, he is called the, the great shepherd of the sheep. And that's found in the book of Hebrews in chapter 13. And here he talks about, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside the still waters. He restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For thou art with me, thy rod and thy staff, they comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. But we're not there yet. See, Psalms 22 is Mount Calvary. And Psalms 25 is Mount Zion. And this is where he suffered. This is where he reigns. And between two mountains is the valley. That's Psalms 23. And yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. This is where we are now. You see, Psalms 22 has already come and gone. Psalms 24 is coming. But right now, this is where we are. And the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Want for what? If he is your shepherd. And this is why this idea of shepherd and a flock and what God wants is so important. It's sprinkled throughout the scriptures. It helps us to understand. Look up here. Now this is so important. This hand represents you and me. The wallet represents sin. It's all the bad things that we do. Everybody does things wrong. But God says that he loves us. And it doesn't matter how old you are or how young you are, God loves you. Now, he don't like what we do wrong, but he loves us. And for us to pay for this is eternal separation from the Lord. In a literal fire burning hell, and God loves us, doesn't want us to go to hell. He wants us to go to heaven. To go to heaven, we have to be perfect, as righteous as God. But we're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. So how can I get to heaven? Well, I've done all these bad things. I'm guilty. I've got to pay for them. This hand represents Jesus Christ. He's the Lord God in the flesh. He came into the world. 
because he loves us, hates our sin, because our sin separates us from him. So Jesus Christ, who had no sin, didn't have to die. So to show us how much he loved us, he took all of our sins, paid for it on the cross, came back from the dead. And God says that if we would believe, he did it for us. He paid for everything I've done wrong. He would give me as a gift eternal life. I get to go to heaven on what Jesus did for me. So can old people understand this? Can young people understand this? Can little kids understand this? Of course. It's free. If I was to offer you my wallet and you accepted, what would you have? An empty wallet. And if I offered you my Bible and you accepted, you'd have a Bible. Well, if Jesus walked in here right now, offered you eternal life, and you accepted it, what would you have? Eternal life. If it's eternal life, how long would it last? Forever. Well, if it lasted forever, and all my sins are paid, where will I go when I die? To heaven. So can I know I'm going to heaven before I die? Yes. How many of you in here know beyond a Shabbat, if you died right now, you go to heaven? Let me see your hand. All right, put it down. Now, not everybody might not be able to raise your hand, but if you're here tonight and you could not honestly raise your hand, you could. All you have to do is admit you're a sinner, but God loves you. Christ paid for your sins. And if you'll believe that, he paid for your sins. That means you don't have any sins to pay for. You get to go to heaven on oh, what he did for you. It's the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Let's pray, shall we? Every head bowed and every eye closed, no one looking around. If you're here tonight, if you're not positive of going to heaven, if you're not sure, why not just talk to the Lord? Does God know who you are? Yeah. Does God know where you are? Yeah. Does God know what you do? Yeah. Does God know how you think? Would you right now say, Lord, I believe Jesus died for me and paid for my sins. And I'm going to trust him to take me to heaven when I die. And God says, friend, if you'll do that, he will give you eternal life. You could go to heaven. Whenever you leave this world, you can know I'm going to heaven because Christ died for me. Would you believe it? If you will, I'm going to ask you in just a moment to raise your hand. Raising your hand doesn't save you. It just lets me know that you trusted the Lord, and I'd like to have prayer for you. Is there anyone at all? Say, yes, that made sense to me. Just slip it up real quick, put it right back down. Yes, God bless you. Anyone else? There's no tricks to it, no gimmicks. If you have not trusted the Lord, don't you want to go to heaven? I did. That's why I trust the Lord. Anyone else before we close? I'm not going to have you forward, not going to embarrass you, but right where you're sitting. Anyone else? If you're watching by internet, right where you are, on the screen, it says, yes, I will trust Christ as my Savior. If you've never done so, I pray that you'll do it and do it right now. Our Father, we thank you again for your blessings. Thank you for the free gift of eternal life. And help us, Father, to do the things that you want us to do. Help us to have some good sheep. And help us to have some good pastors and some good elders and good leaders in the church. People that care about others. And that help us to do it willingly, not begrudgingly. Thank you for all you do for us. And for the one that indicated by an uplifted hand that they would trust you as Savior. We know that you give them eternal life. They become your child. That you'll never cast them out and never lose them. Thank you so much for all you've done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.